Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Marist Minute. I'm Daniel Lai for Notre Dame Preparatory School and Marist Academy, and we are happy to bring back Father Jim Straws. All right, so Father Straws, We've talked a little bit about the, the origins of the Marist Order and, and some of the things that they do. Can you, I guess, take us to that next conversation where, um, how did we end up here in, in Pontiac? Well, Dan, <laughs> how much time do you really have? Uh, actually, we need to go back to 1863. Oh. I know you, this is probably out of what you, the purview that you were talking about, but nonetheless, Let's do it just for the sake of it, and then won't have to come back to the subject ever again. Uh, The Maris first came to the United States in 1863. They were invited by the Bishop of New Orleans. I forget what his name. I think his name was Odin, uh, to uh, take a parish in uh, a missionary parish in the New Orleans diocese. So they arrived in 1863, the middle of the Civil War. New Orleans is still under the hands of the Confederacy. And no sooner did they get off the boat and say bonjour than they were quickly arrested for being Yankee spies and uh, thrown into jail. So the bishop had to come down to the the, uh, jail to get them out. And they were, uh, he then quickly sent them on their way up the river, about uh, the Mississippi River, about 50 miles, to a place called Convent, Louisiana. Now, this is like early to mid-1863, the year. By September or October of that year, in Convent, there had been a school that had been sort of abandoned, and the Marist had, were offered the opportunity to take over the school. Now, at the time, this is one of the little quirks of history, we could not run a coeducational institution. It had to be single sex. It was all boys. Wow. And so the fathers started what was called, uh, the school originally had had the name of Jefferson College, named after Thomas Jefferson. And um, the fathers took it over and renamed it St. Mary's Jefferson College. Mm. And it would take boys from about grades, what we today would have the equivalent of grade seven, through the first two or three years of college. Oh, wow. In fact, I think they were actually allowed to grant bachelor's degrees, and they granted maybe very few, but it was a couple. It was primarily the what was called the Sons of Sugar. Uh, this was all sugarcane territory and things. And so the fathers did that, and in January of 1864, they opened St. Mary's College. And that was the first of of the educational institutions. Within a period of 30 years, the Marist had tried their hands at a place in uh, outside of San Francisco, which failed miserably. It was they were running it for the diocese, and it was so remote. 
you couldn't get, you know, even though there was a river, there was no boat that went there. You had to take this long route. Oh, wow. Um, the next one was uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, in the home of Mormon country. Oh. And we actually had a, a college called uh, All Hollows College, again, seventh grade through like two or three years of, of college. We operated that for about 30 years, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, and a very, very interesting history. Unfortunately, the Maris don't like me talking about it because it's one of my <laughs> favorite little things to talk about. And I can go on for hours about Salt Lake City ad nauseum. Uh, we also, about the same time, opened a college on the northernmost tip of Maine. Again, it was a... Um, it was an all-boys school, right smack in the center of this little town. It was all farmers around there. They all spoke French. Uh, Northern Maine has an awful lot of a French-Canadian population. And so St. Mary's of Van Buren was born, and that lasted, I think, from about 1885 to 1928. Oh. Uh, and it, a more fascinating history follows it and things. Um a little side there, uh, you know, Father Ron is our resident Cleveland person. Here, yeah. And he is rabid, athletic, you know, anything Cleveland. Yeah, right. You know, he just he rabid, it, yeah. you know, and it, he's in great mourning, you know, because they're changing the name of the baseball team from the Indians to the Guardians. Oh. And what's interesting, and, and the Maris point or the Marist intersection is uh, the guy who the team was named for was um, Lewis, uh, what is it, it was Lewis Sackless or something like this. He was a Native American who played for Cleveland uh, at the turn of the, uh, the 20th century, and he was evidently this very excellent player. He had given an interview, and when he talked about his interview, uh, where he learned to play baseball, or where he started playing baseball, I should say, not learning, but play, starting to play baseball. The very first place he played was for his high school team, which was St. Mary's College in Van Buren, Maine, oh. which the Marist had. Yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, Sox Alice Alexis, that's his name, Sox Alexis, I don't think he was a great student, <laughs> but he certainly spent his time on the baseball field and, and mastered it. So that St. Mary's was there. Um, and then we slowly opened other high schools. Most of them were what were they called apostolic schools. They were schools that were specifically meant to uh, feed uh, the Maris father's vocation pool. In 1948, there are two regions of Marist in the United States. There is the Boston region, which was New England, New York, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And then there is the rest of the United States, which was the Washington region. Okay. And um, so they, uh, in in the Boston region, which we originally would have been a part of. Um, the Marists in uh, that period of time 
had gotten together and they said, um, either we get out of New England because that's the only place where we were, or we will not survive. And so they sent a guy by the name of Father Charles Decker, who was the vocation director. He was affectionately known as Pater. And they sent Pater off to look for places, you know, that they might have a school or something. And there were three places that he had gone back and chosen, you know, and, and brought back to talk about. The most promising of them was Detroit. Hmm. And, you know, the hope was that we could get somebody to donate land for us and we would be able to have, um, you know, a school here in Detroit. Again, it would at that time, canonically, uh, church law said you had to be all boys. Right. Well, he got here and there was a school that was had uh, been used by the Bazillions uh, for their Catholic Central School. And it had been used since the 1930s. And the Bazillions, after the Second World War, built uh, a new building on the Outer Drive, West Outer Drive. So the building they had used next to the cathedral was now vacant. And Cardinal Mooney, who was then the archbishop, wanted a boys' high school in that building. Mm. He already had, there was already a girls' high school um, around the block. And now he wanted, uh, you know, again, to fill it. So in 1950, I think it was 51, uh, he offered it to the Marist Fathers uh, through the gracious auspices of a, of a priest by the name of Monsignor Didi, hmm. Carol Didi. And um, Monsignor Didi uh, was originally from Boston, so he could speak the language with these people that talk with the funny accent all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so he, um, they arranged for it. And uh, the fathers lived in what today is called the Kresge Mansion. Oh, okay. The archdiocese purchased it specifically as a, a faculty residence type of thing. Um, and uh, the fathers would teach and then uh, they would go out and do ministry in the morning. Uh, it was to help supplement their income. So they would go off to convents to say mass for sisters at, you know, the five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, or they would go to local parishes to say the first mass and then returning and teach in the school. So actually the school's name was Cathedral Central, and that is actually our foray into education in Detroit. Okay. Now, Pater was a character. He was not a man to be underestimated by any way, shape, or form. And so uh, just a, a small brief anecdote about him. One night he went into the dining room at the faculty residence, and he announced that he had two tickets to uh, to go to the Olympia to watch the uh, Red Wings play. And he wanted to know if anybody was free. Well, this one young priest, Father Champagne, said, oh, I'm free, I'm free, thinking, of course, he'd get the tickets. And Pater turned to him and said, good, you can take my confessions at the cathedral tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he he was that sort of man where, you know, he would do this. He actually somehow got 
um, in touch with uh, Henry Ford II, who was a convert to Catholicism. And he, I don't know how he did it, but he got a meeting with Henry the, Henry Ford and asked him for a piece of property in Dearborn so the Maris could build a school. Oh, nice. And um, in the meantime, now we're, we're talking about 1953, 1954. In the meantime, there was this project that was going on in Harper Woods on the east side of Detroit where six parishes had come together and they were going to have a boys' high school and a girls' high school. And they thought that they had the uh, Holy Cross brothers to do the boys' high school. Mm. But there was some snafu in the whole process, and the Holy Cross brothers uh, excused themselves. And so there was this whole plan, and it was land, and it was a good amount of land and things. And it came to be offered to the Maris fathers. Mm. And so we took it, and uh, that's the origins of Notre Dame High School in Harper Woods. Okay. Uh, and that's the real reason Notre Dame High School has had the name Notre Dame was because of the Holy Cross Brothers. They saw it as being a feeder, a way of being a feeder school, perhaps for the university. Right. Which we never saw. And, and the interesting thing, too, is... In the beginning, the school's colors were not green and white. They were blue and gold. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It is. And um, the guys who are in the first class, uh, would, if they were ever to show you their class ring, the stone was not green. It was blue. Wow. And But then, you know, it got changed over and the whole thing, uh, you know, was thoroughly maristized. So... We operated, we owned and operated it from 1954. Uh, we had a contract with these six parishes that we would take so many boys from each parish off the bat. And then um, from beyond that, then we would take other students. And it became very, it was a very popular high school. I went to high school there. And uh, when I was in school, I think... There were probably about 1,200 boys in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, it, it, was, it was good size. I, it, the classes were like, uh, you know, each class was like 270 boys. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you want to talk about discipline. Oh, um, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, they walk down the corridors here any which way they want. There, there were patterns. <laughs> and there were teachers and priests all the way down. And the dean of discipline would stand at the one end of the hall. And if he didn't like something, it was simply a snap of the fingers and everything came to a halt. He'd point at the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Builder of boys and maker of men. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we, we, Owned and operated Harper Woods until 2000 and, or 1997. Mm. Well, that certainly is a very interesting origin story of how the Marist came to Michigan and eventually founded the Notre Dame High School in Harper Woods. 
This is going to be a two-part episode, and next we're going to talk about how the Marist eventually moved north to Oakland County and founded Notre Dame Preparatory School, and talk to Father Straws about where he sees the school going in the future. So thank you, Father Straws, and we'll talk to you soon.